Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Well, surprise. <laughs> you get me today. Oh, joy. Cool. Well, what have we noticed? The weather has turned a little bit cooler. The leaves are falling. Warm days have given way to rainy afternoons. See, I've heard this a lot of times in my life. I've heard people say, it's a perfect day to get cozy and read a good book. I don't know about that. But anyway, what kind of books, what kind of books do you like to read? You like to read action? I kind of do. Mystery? Definitely. Romance? Not so much. <laughs> Spy novels? Yeah, that's kind of cool. How about uh, historical? I definitely like to read those. So how about this one? It has mystery. It has drama. And a thick plot. Definitely historical. The intrigue and the theater are high in today's story. There's a conspiracy, like I said, drama, the drama of a courtroom, and even 40 men taking a vow not to eat anything until they murder. Ooh. Tempers are hot amid a plot of assassination. And all the while, a teenager gets to be the hero. <laughs> Sounds cool to me, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. We'll be looking at Acts 23. I'm going to start with verse 11 because it kind of sets everything up for me. And so we'll start with this. Let's pray first. Father Lord, we just thank you so much for again today. And we thank you for allowing us to pray for one another. To think about what each individual in our lives may need. There's a lot of hurt and sorrow this time of year. There's a lot of hurt and sorrow because of extenuating circumstances. We think of the ongoing issue, medical issues that people have, the uh, the issues in their heart, the desires that they want but can't have, and how it worry it wanes on them. And Father, we just think about ourselves and how we are able to deal with things like this, how we are put in the tough spot, Father, to think about how we can help when we seem helpless. Father, we just thank you so very much for being that, that individual, that person in our lives, that that lives in our lives, Father, that helps us to get through these times, to help us see what we can be in, the, in these times. Not just a, a person that likes to talk a lot and, and uh, give us uh, the insight which we think we need, but also the person who listens, the person who is there for us, and just the person to lean on, Father. That's what you've made us to be in all these different arenas, Father. And we just thank you for, for that, and we think about our pastor as he's traveled to see his father for what, again, is maybe his last time, Father, on this earth. And we know that he's been a, a, a diligent servant for you, Father. And we just thank you so very much for uh, bringing uh, that aspect into our lives, knowing that, uh, that life is, is fleeting, but it isn't futile. You give us a purpose, you give us a, a want and a love. And we just pray for all these th- precious things that you've given us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, that was it. That's all I have for today. So. <laughs> now, let's, let's start reading this cool book here. We're going to start again in verse 11. It says this, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts 
about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot. This is that hard part we're talking about for Paul. They made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, I couldn't do that. I'd have to eat something. Anyway, and therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are when, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard this, heard about their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called for one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him into the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, What is is that you have to tell me? Verse 20 says, And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, basically telling him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen and go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. He wrote, Claudius, Lysias, To his excellency, the governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them and the soldiers and rescued him, having heard that he was a Roman citizen. Hmm. That's a little bit different. (laughs) And desired to know the charge for which they were accusing him. I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death, nor imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there, were, there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you that they have what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipartis. <laughs> and on the next day, you know how many times you read that and you just it says fine and you just can't say it? Anyway. And on the next day, verse 32, they, re- they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked, what providence he was from. And when he had learned that he was from Cilicia, 
He said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Now that is, the praetorium is, is basically the governor's mansion. That's what that is. It's the official residence of the uh, Roman governor. So the question is, have you found yourself in a tight spot today? Have you ever found yourself in a tight spot? See, Paul finds himself in a tough spot between a rock and a hard place. We've heard that before. Many of you have found yourself in a tough spot. And the good news is, God has his hands all around you in those tough spots. Around you for protection, for comfort. That's where we gain trust in the Lord. That's where that comes from. So again, have you ever been in between a rock and a hard place? It's kind of like Paul is right there. You know what I mean by that phrase? You're in a trial of affliction or opposition and you look for an escape or relief of one you look in one direction and it's like you run into a rock and you look in the other opposite direction and it's like you're against a hard place in other words no matter which way you turn there seems no hope no escape no help no sight no sight to give you uh, an answer you're in a tough spot How would you get through it? How would you get to the times when you're in a tough spot? All of us have either been there in the past or are there right now or will be there in the future. So when you're there, what can you do? Well, when you're in a tough spot, take heart. You're in good company. So here is Paul. He was just in the same situation. Paul had come to Jerusalem to heal a fracture between the Jewish and Gentile Christians. You know, there was a rift there. He was, of course, halted in that attempt. He got caught up in a riot based on a misunderstanding, was saved by a local Roman military unit whose captain, instead of arresting the guys who started the riot, promptly arrested Paul due to a mistake, mistaking him for a wanted criminal. Paul was saved from an interrogation and flogging by informing his guard that he was a Roman citizen. Then the next day, Paul was brought to the Jewish council, essentially the Supreme Court in, the, in Israel, to see what the charges were against him. The council was divided, so Paul was hauled back to prison, back to the barracks, his fate still undecided. And that's where we find him in our story now. So here we find, again, like I said, you know, it's funny, you write these things down and you kind of say it in your head a few times and all of a sudden you write it down twice. Mm-hmm. Anyway, because it's important. Kind of find out where you are in your, li- in your life. Where am I in a tough spot? See, he was alone and without his Christian uh, friends. It must have hurt him a little bit and disappointed him that his uh, Jewish Christians had rejected his efforts to bring them back in reconciliation with the, uh, uh, the Gentiles, the Gentile believers. And he found himself falsely jailed at the mercy of an unjust and corrupt leaders. Times certainly haven't changed, have they? 
So he was placed between a rock and a hard place. The harsh custody of the Romans is that rock. And a hard place, the Supreme Court of Israel, out, of, out to destroy him, if at all possible. Just as they had done Jesus and Stephen and other Christians. You can kind of hear them back in the day when they said, stone him, stone him, crucify him, crucify him. Give him to us so we can kill him. The story didn't have him changed. And yet, as we discover, God is greater than our rocks or our hard places. The following night, this is still going back to verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. See, the Lord stood at Paul's side and said, Take courage. Or it also says, Be of good cheer. They say that to cheer us up. Now that's a jolly thing to say, isn't it? Take, be a good cheer. To say, to say that in a situation like this. So here he is, rejected, falsely accused, beaten, the victim of mistaken identity, and in prison. Now if he came to me in a situation like that and said, Hey dude, cheer up. I'd say, get out of here, man. <laughs> you don't know what I'm going through. But when it's the Lord who says it, well, that's a little different. <laughs> Jesus came to assume, uh, assure Paul that even though he was in a tough spot, God was still in control. So there was no reason to be worried or upset. Be of good cheer. Take courage. Why should Paul take courage? Let me give you three reasons. Paul could take courage. They're the same reasons you and I should be of good cheer. When we're in a tough spot in our own lives, take courage because of God's presence. And then the following night following the Lord, the following night following the Lord stood by him. He was right there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7. I love that verse. I used that verse when I was eulogizing my own mother at her funeral. Because there's a lot of people out there, my own family, friends, that think they know God, but yet didn't know exactly where to find that peace. That verse helped. But there's also something else. God said something to his followers. And uh, G.K. Chesterton said, Jesus promised his followers three things, that they would be completely fearless. You remember that armor of God. We're prepared for battle. We're fearless. We don't really have any fear. And they would be absurdly happy. And the third thing, you're going to be in constant trouble. When Jesus appeared to Paul, it was a reminder that Jesus Christ was still alive and that he was with him everywhere he was and in every situation. How blessed are we to know that Jesus is always with us, even in those tough spots. The last words Jesus spoke 
Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Matthew 28, 20. How many of us have been hurt, misunderstood, insulted, in pain, discouraged, in the very valley of despair? I like that word, despair. And yet, even in our darkest hour, we felt the abiding presence of the Lord Jesus in our lives. I don't know, we kind of panic for a little bit, and then we realize God's sitting right there, waiting for us to calm down. God asks us to take courage, but another reason we should trust God is because of his presence in our lives. But what is that presence for? He gave us all a purpose. He has a big purpose for you and I. And you'll never truly be happy until you discover your purpose. At the height of his success in the Beatles, John Lennon wrote a personal letter after quoting a line from a song, Money Can't Buy Me Love, he wrote, well, How can I find happiness? Money can't buy me love. He asked the question, Explain to me what Christianity can do for me. He was curious. Is it phony? He asked. Can God love me? I want out of hell. See, you never truly be happy, he, uh, he said, until you discover your purpose. How do we do that? Well, how do we find our purpose? God gives us our purpose. We need to ask him. You have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome, he said to Paul. See, if you're a follower of Christ, God has a big purpose for you. Just as Paul was testifying about Jesus in Jerusalem, he also testified about Jesus in Rome. We'll find out about that later. Well, Jesus says to us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God still says that to us. God's plan for our reaching the world is mobilizing ordinary folks like you and me. Take courage, he said. He said this to Paul to prepare him. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth are, take courage. Three times we read about 40 men taking an oath to kill Paul in our story. Three times, think about that. Take in the irony with me, that these men were upset about Paul possibly breaking Moses' commandments, so they decided to murder him. Yeah, I know, huh? God doesn't say his purposes are easy. But living for his purpose is worth it. Take courage for, your, for you have reason to, for living. God's purposes for you isn't going to be a walk in the garden. To his frightened disciples on the boat in that storm-tossed sea in the Galilee, Jesus said when he used water as a sidewalk, take heart. This is I. Do not be afraid. And those same men, Jesus said about hours before his crucifixion, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us to take courage because he has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. Jesus tells our friend Paul again that he has a big purpose for him. God has a big purpose and you have a big purpose. Fathers, you are called to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Mothers, you have a calling to be faithful. Point your child to Christ. Every believer has a purpose. 
Jesus says to them, John 20, 21, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Your purpose is to spread the love of Jesus. Your purpose is to testify about Jesus. Testify about his death and resurrection for your sins. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here's your purpose. Jesus says, testify of me. You get it yet? That's our purpose. We're not sitting in this church here to look at me. I know some of you are, but (laughs) the thing is, is we're here for a purpose. It's fascinating to see that no matter how much men seek to halt the will of God, they're powerless against it. If God wanted Paul to die, there wasn't a magistrate or a king or priest on earth who could save him. And if God wanted Paul to live, these 40 religious men were powerless to take it. When it's God planned, nothing can interfere. Again, God has a big purpose, but he also has a big promise. Actually, he has a lot of promises. Jesus makes a big promise to our friend Paul. For you have testified the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Jesus makes a visit to Paul in prison in that cell late at night when he hears this incredible promise. Did you hear that promise? It's kind of hard. You skim over it a little bit. Let me read it again. For you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. How's he going to get to Rome? You know where Rome is, right? It's right over here in Italy, that little boot thing. This is Jerusalem down here. How's he going to get from there to there where he's in a prison? That's God's promise right there. That Paul will preach in Rome. And how will he get there? If he's in jail and going to die. Did I just give the plot away? Maybe. (laughs) See, a pastor wrote this driving in Asia. He uh, wrote to his mission board back home. He says, I have made several trips to Asia throughout the years. If you've never traveled in in a vehicle in many of these countries, then you have no idea how scary it can be. After long days working with the volunteer teams from the hotel, riding back can be as nerve-wracking as you can... uh, How do I write this? Okay, you can can imagine it was very nerve-wracking. We would often travel in buses and with vehicles coming in every direction, he said. Right, what should be two or three lanes here quickly becomes... Six or seven, with pedestrians and ox carts scattered between. On top of all this, there's mopeds and motorcycles everywhere you turn. Rather than watching all this chaos and my stress levels increasing, I simply turn my back to the windshield. (laughs) I've learned to travel with my back turned to the windshield if I want any peace. See, he says, I trust the driver to navigate the chaos and get me back to the hotel safely. Much of our lives are just like this with our backs to the future. We have no exact idea of where we are on our journey. Yet we confidently trust the Lord is driving us home. 
See, when you're engaged in God's work, you can know that he will safely guide you home. See, he knows about our troubles too. See, no doubt Paul is anxious. But just think about how anxious, anxiety, how, how your anxiety would be had you known about these 40 men. Here you are anxious about your life, but just think about how stressed you'd be if you knew what was coming your way. Imagine your stress if you knew what was about to transpire with your loved ones. Imagine your anxiety if you knew what kind of genetic diseases you carried. Imagine your apprehension if you knew the criminal history of the people living around you. You know the Lord knows about your troubles before you do. He has a plan for you. That promise is also protection. Psalm 27, 5, For he will hide me in his shelter in the days of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock and how safe we are in the hands of our God. See, he knows where to find you. Didn't you realize God knows where you are all the time? Just as he knew where to find Paul, he knows where you are. Even if you find yourself in a dungeon like Paul, the Lord stands by you. Don't you know where everyone else abandons you, the Lord stands by you. Jesus sees you in the hospital just as he sees you in your depression. If he can find Paul in a prison, he can find you no matter where you are. Every believer who is diligently testifying about Jesus has his promise. The Lord stands by you. The Lord stood in for you at the cross. And when you speak for him, the Lord now stands by you. Jesus makes a big promise to people who are about his big purpose. I stand with you all around you and me are opportunities to make Jesus a big deal. To boldly talk to people who op- openly about who Jesus is in our lives. See, he's with us. You realize the avalanche of promises you have written down for you? Let me give you some. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one means no one. See, I do this to my daughter every once in a while. I'll grab her hand. And then she tries to get free. And she can't. Because daddy's hands are stronger. And they hold her tight. God's like that to us. He has our hands. When we diligently seek him, he won't let us go. Here's some more of those promises. Like I said, they come down out of avalanche. We don't realize them. Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He's happy to bring you to him, his father. Romans 8, 28, 
And we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Like I said, we're doing God's work. When you're doing God's work, He will be there with you. Philippians 3.21, He will transform your body to be like His glorious body. And the moment you pass out of this life, Jesus promises, so will we always be, always be with the Lord. Jesus also has a big providence in our lives. God guides every detail of human history in order to fulfill his promises. It's not fate nor chance or even the strong eating the weak that runs the world, but God guiding every detail of human history. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. They starved to death. They didn't succeed. What stopped this band of 40 men who vowed to not eat until they killed Paul? What stopped them? A string of unlikely events? Not so much. A teenage boy overheard a plot. This boy happened to be Paul's sister's son, so his nephew. The boy happened to have the courage to tell the Roman centurion who guarded Paul. The centurion took the boy seriously and even brought him to his commander, the tribune. The tribune believed the teenager and commanded 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and an additional 200 spearmen to guard Paul. Every single one of these events was unlikely, even highly unlikely. But God made it happen. See, there is no coincidence with our God. Verse 16 again says, When Paul's sister's son heard their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. See, if you read the New Testament from beginning to end, you'll not find another reference to Paul's sister or his nephew. God, By God's providential hand, they were set aside in history and in all Paul's life, they would be in the right place at the right time when Paul was in that tough spot. And then God said, Nephew, it's time to go on stage. Get out there. Do your thing. See, folks, that's just incredible. But that's the way God works. It's been said that history is his story. And when suddenly God writes his story, no matter how difficult the plot appears... <laughs> Or uh, how obscured the nephew he'll use. He'll use a earthquake or a fish. But right on cue, that tough spot dissolves into non-existence. And even if he chooses to keep you between a rock and a hard place physically, you can still be spiritually and emotionally secure. See, he didn't just break open those prison um, doors for Paul. All sat there and waited. He trusted in God. Let me tell you what else would happen. Once the plot to murder was exposed, the Lord cranked up the Roman Empire to provide transportation and protection for the new chairman of his evangelism committee. <laughs> Dedicated to spreading the gospel among the Gentiles with the Roman, within the Roman Empire. That was his plan. First, the Romans provided an abundance of Free bodyguards. Verse 23, there there was 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. 
a total of 470 men assigned to protect one man, Paul. These 40 religious men would be wiped out by this group in short order. Second, the Romans also provided free transportation. Verse 24 says Paul was provided with horses. Horses, plural. In other words, Paul, Paul was traveling in style. <laughs> Began given, be, being given two horses, maybe more, for, 60, for a free 60-mile journey to the judgment, in, in the judgment Hall in Herod's palace in Caesarea. Third, the Lord even provided safe lodging at Herod's personal quarters. G.C. Campbell, or G. Campbell Morgan said, the palace of Herod was used by the Lord as a safe place for his servant. It was a prison, but the prison is a palace when the Lord provides it for his servant Paul. That's what I call protection. One of the greatest blessings of the Christian life is to know that God, God's protective hand is on my life. To know that Satan can't do anything to me without God's express permission. To know that God is in control, that not one thing can happen to me without his saying so. If you're in that tight spot, you can know that you're under God's special watch and care and protection. Jesus makes a big promise to people who are about his business, about his purpose. Jesus makes a big promise to our friend Paul and underneath stood a big providence. Paul was immortal. Until he had given his final testimony, God promised no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. Isaiah 54, 17. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and an additional 200 spearmen represented more than half of the Roman soldiers stationed at Jerusalem at the time. Paul entered the story as a prisoner but ended being guarded like a king. See, you don't have to be Apostle Paul to know you have a big purpose, a big promise, and a big providence guiding your life. See, you can be confident in Jesus Christ. Highly confident. I mean, I was, when I was writing this thing, I was like, how can I show the abundance of courage you have when Jesus is in your life? You don't have to ride standing at the uh, staring chaos in the face and being afraid. Instead, you ride with confidence, knowing he's driving you home. You've heard it. Jesus take the wheel. Jesus has the wheel. He doesn't need to take it when you have him in your life. Jesus promises followers three things that you will be completely fearless absurdly happy and in constant trouble. See, that tough spot isn't so tough as long as our Lord Jesus Christ is with us. See, with Him in our lives, it's more like paper mache. And when you absorb and trust in, the, in God, that paper mache becomes wet. It's nothing. That's easy for me to say standing up here, but we all know we've all gone through many things in our lives that are considered a tough spot. We may be going through them right now. But you all sitting here with me 
know that Jesus is right here with us. Take courage, he says, because of God's presence, because God's, God will be with you no matter what your circumstances and comfort you through them as long as you trust him. You see, you can't do this on your own. Because of his providence, his providence will work out all things in the end. But he'll do it for his glory and for your good. And because we can take courage because of his protection. See, he loves you and I. He died for you and I. Do you know this? Why God decided to just hang on that cross and take everything for us? He loves us too much for us to just walk away. He provided a way for Paul to, I'm going to give away the plot again, to go preach in Rome. He provided a way for many of the different stories we read that capture us in the books of the Bible. And he says to us, read these stories because they're true. They're not made up. They're not fantasy. Yes, there was a big fish and it spit out this guy, Jonah. It happened because God said so. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the fact Jesus has us in his hands. So my question again, do you know this? Are you sure of this? If you don't know, then ask, how can I get that courage? How can I get that freedom from wickedness? How can I get that safe harbor to hide in when I'm, when I'm scared? All you need to do is bow your head and you ask Jesus to come in your life and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to govern my life. I want you to be part of my life. I want you to design my life. Don't sit there and think, oh, I can do this on my own. Because you can't. Again, do you know this? If you want to know this, I invite you to ask that question. If you don't know, find somebody who does. Call us, email us, text us. How do I get Jesus into my life? How do I know that protection? How do I know that I'm loved? You ask Jesus into your life. There's a lot of things that are on your, on your mind. We have, have certain tragedies in our lives. We think about what was on a young person's mind when they decided to uh, take their life. What's on a person's mind when they give up and say, I don't want to live anymore? What's on a person's mind when they allow for a marriage to break up for a stupid reason? What's on people's minds when they just don't know? Because the world is a harsh place. Jesus said it's going to be a harsh place. It's never going to be easy. Even when you trust in him, life isn't going to be easy. But know that he'll get you home. He's in charge of that boat. He's in charge of that car. He's in charge of the water that you're sitting on. He's in charge of the air that you breathe. He doesn't need your help. What he wants is your heart. He wants your trust. Because he knows that without it, 
There's nothing left. So if you don't know, if you want to know, you ask that question, how do I get God to come in my life? Bring me to a place of peace. Bring me home. That's a good question to ask. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for another day that we're able to supply your word of an encouragement, your word of enthusiasm. And Father, we just thank you so much for giving us this day. And each and every day that we have the opportunity to speak your truth, your gospel, and your love, that we have nothing without you. Father, we ask that you be with us. You come into our lives and you help us be a guiding light to those who don't know you. If you don't know Jesus, Father, we ask that those folks out there, those folks in here, those folks out sitting outside driving by, if they don't know Jesus, Father, that they would finally come to their senses and say, you know what, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to govern me. I want you to show me a good life and how to live it properly according to your plan and for your provision that you give me direction and you drive me safely home, Father. If you prayed that at all, we thank you so very much and you let us know that you prayed for us. If we don't know how to do that again, like I said, come down to us. Show us that you want to know us, that you want us to know that you want to know God in your life. Father, bless us as we continue on our week that we again show Jesus in our lives. Father, thank you very, very much for what you have for us and protect us all. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.